So, uh, I, don't, I hope you can't hear it too much, moms, but happy Mother's Day. I know you've heard it a hundred times today. I just wanted to get to say it too, and I'm hoping that all of our moms got this treat from what's popping. They provided these for us. If you did not get one on the way in, we have them for you on the way out as well. And if you say you didn't get one as you're wiping crumbs off your upper lip, um, uh, hey, Hey, you know, one, you know, one of the things that we know about Mother's Day, it's one of those days that's real big and celebrated, and we know that today is a hard day for some folks. Maybe it's because you grew up with a mom that was less than motherly, or maybe, maybe it's because you've always wanted to be a mom, and it just has not happened. And I just want to say that our hearts are with you today, because we know that this is a hard day, uh, which is intention then, because we also want to celebrate those moms uh, who have done their best to reflect Jesus. And it's important that you know this. All of our ladies need to know this. Listen, there, there are those of us in the room this morning because women who are not our moms reflected Jesus to us, and we saw him through you. And so I just want to say thank you to all the moms who love Jesus and reflect him to those of us uh, here and around us in the world. So, hey, I don't know if you know this, an international audience was asked this question. It'll be on the screen. Given the chance, what would you write in a fortune cookie? I'm real curious what you would write in a fortune cookie. But Melanie Salava uh, suggested this fortune. Can you imagine opening up your fortune cookie? And it says, your mom was right. Uh, and most likely uh, very correct. And I will say, I saw this yesterday, took this picture yesterday of that, and I thought, oh, look, it's a stroller, and there are flowers, and if you look closely at this picture, a Red Bull, uh, which pretty much sums up motherhood, if you ask me. Uh, and I will also say this, evidently, um, <clears throat> there was a conspiracy, and so there are some similar shirts in the room um, today. And so afterwards, I'll tell you this now, just so you're kind of ready, uh, we'll come up here. There are actually similar shirts in the first hour as well, and so I'm curious if there's any online today. <laughs> uh, but we'll come up and get our picture taken at the end of the service together, okay, to celebrate Mother's Day. Um, hey, if this is your first time with us here uh, on campus or there online, um, thanks for being with us. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And we've been in this series uh, that we've called Take a Stand. And what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings is how to pull that off. How are we to take a stand? And so the first week we looked at the fact that when we take a stand, it needs to be on what God says in his word. Uh, and last week we were reminded that before we take a stand, we need to look in the mirror. And so just make sure we check ourselves first. And if you missed either of those, you can catch them at our website or on our YouTube channel, and if you haven't yet, you need to subscribe, right? You need to subscribe to our YouTube channel, all right? So that would be great. Uh, today we're looking at what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3. So his first letter toward the end of the New Testament, he writes, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And there's a little bit more that we're going to look at. But honestly, when you look at, isn't that enough? Isn't that difficult enough to pull off sometimes, especially uh, in the unexpected and especially when the unexpected becomes unpleasant? How do you deal with situations when the heat is turned up quickly and you seem to be, for whatever reason, standing right in the middle of the fire? Peter, who uh, wrote this, knew from personal experience what it meant to be in a situation 
that just turned wildly against you. As a matter of fact, for those of us who know much about Peter, perhaps when you think of him, the incidences in his life, I mean, two of them that pop toward the top are when he's in the garden and he lops off the ear of the high priest's servant, and the other is maybe not long, much longer after that when he denies knowing Jesus three times. I mean, Pete, he, he knew what it meant to face unexpected, intense adversity, and his readers did as well. The background for First Peter, this letter, the people he's writing to, were living in a, an empire-wide uh, persecution, torture, destruction of Christians. And, and so what Peter is writing to them is what? How should we live in, in the face of that type of uh, pressure and heat when it's turned up against us? What ought our actions, the goal for our actions, what ought it to be? So that's what we're going to look at. Look at these verses again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What he's saying uh, literally is be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the hope that you have. And so for us today, when someone says to you, so where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on Black Lives Matter? Where do you stand on whatever it is you happen to be asked about? How can you always be prepared for that? And then he tells us. So, and the first thing he tells us, and by the way, this is in your notes uh, that are on the Version Bible app. If you don't have that, you want some help with that, we have folks who are in the lobby between services who can help you with that. But the first thing I want to make sure you catch that Peter says is we need to take a stand that shows that Jesus is my Lord. In other words, before you say or do anything, check your heart and remind yourself of who you represent. The most important thing that will happen over the next few moments is you'll remember whose you are. And Peter is saying, not merely the Lord, but he is saying uh, that all of us here uh, recognize, because we know that we recognize the sovereignty of Jesus in the world. Just a few months ago in my uh, reading in the morning, I was in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And that's not just Old Testament, that's not just Deuteronomy, that's all over the Bible. Jesus is the Lord of the world, but that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying, make sure you take a stand that shows that Jesus is your Lord, and that when I take a stand, I make sure that Jesus is my Lord. As a matter of fact, in just five verses, he's going to say this, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience the promise of a good heart. Those words can be translated, the prayer to God for a pure heart through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. Your baptism, my baptism, is our commitment to Jesus, not just as the Lord, although certainly it is, but as my Lord and as your Lord, and this morning, the Tobias family has come because mom and dad have been living this out and their family actually goes beyond mom and dad into extended family who trust in Christ. And so their children, Parker and Bailey, have come to make their commitment to Jesus as well because they've watched their mom and dad model this. So check out what's going on in the lobby right now.
All right, Bailey, we are so proud of you and that you have made this choice on your own. So I want you to repeat after me, okay? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Bailey, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. All right, Parker, your mom and everyone and I are so proud of you and for you to make this decision and to see your faith grow over the past few years has been incredible. Repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. All right, Parker, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of the eternal life. Ready? You know, it was, uh, it was funny this week when we were talking, I was talking to the kids about that, and I said, now, which one of you all are going to be baptized first? And Bailey, I mean, she about shot off the ground. It's going to be me. And I love that we get to be a place that helps people say yes to Jesus. And by the way, if you've been thinking about that, if you'd like to talk about that, if you're looking at making that happen, we'd love to help you with that uh, too. But to be clear, the commitment they just made answers this question. Uh, it, which lordship answers, who's going to be number one in my life? And in our most honest moments, we have to admit that we all battle with that, right? I'm, assume, I'm assuming you battle with it because I know I battle with it uh, in my life from time to time. As a matter of fact, anyone who walks with God for very long, listen, we face this over and over again because we're presented with opportunities to make someone or something else in our life number one. And the question is going to be for you, who's going to be number one in your life? Is it going to be your career? Is it going to be building your family? Is it going to be building your portfolio? Is it going to be sports, maintaining your health? There's nothing wrong with those things. All of those things are good. God smiles and blesses all of those things. But none of them are to take his place. He only has one place in our life, one rightful place in our life. He is the Lord of our life. And he says, if I'm Lord of your life, those things can't be. So the question is going to be, what's number one for you? Chuck Colson said this, the cultural war, and this is in the notes, by the way, for this morning. The cultural war we find ourselves in is a battle of two worldviews. One says, we make the rules ourselves. The other acknowledges that the rules have already been made for us. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. I want to repeat it for you in case you missed it or you need to hear it again. But if Jesus speaks on an issue, that's your opinion. 
If you're a follower of His, you can disagree with Him initially, you can argue with Him, but if He's Lord of your life, He's the boss. (laughs) He's number one. And if He speaks to something, that's your opinion on it. This quote uh, in the notes, if Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. And I gave that to you because I needed to be reminded of it. Every once in a while, I just need to be reminded of that again. I was in a workshop, David Roadcup was teaching. It's been years ago, but he was talking. He was younger. He was talking about watching a building uh, being constructed near where he lived. And he said, they came in and they put down this cement pad. And then several days later, they brought in this huge, uh, heavy silver box. And they set it down on the pad. And then over the next few weeks, they began to... Uh, build walls around it, construct uh, with frames and then drywall, and his curiosity was really getting the best of him. What was that silver box they put in there, and why did they put that in there first? So he asked what was going on. He was told they were building a bank, and then it made sense to him because that huge silver metal box was the, the vault, right? We all know that. This is the most important thing, and because of its size and its weight and its importance, they had to build everything around it. Later, it wouldn't fit through the door, for one thing. But also, when you're building a bank, you build first what houses what's most important to the bank, what's going to hold the valuables for the bank, and then you build everything around it. And what the vault is to a bank, Jesus is to our life. We build everything around him, If he's Lord of your life, that's what you do. You build everything around him. He's our bottom line, which is why Peter told these people and us, this is not just about when we sit in worship or even just about as we go through the routines of our life. In the most difficult times of life, we must be ready to show Jesus to those around us. And then he tells us how to do it. And this is also in your notes, but we need to take a stand that reflects our hope, which is verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And we hope for a lot of things. I mean, many of us right now are hoping that interest rates go back down. Many of us are hoping that inflation goes back down. We hope that our kids turn out to be okay. Some of us are hoping that we marry Mr. or Mrs. Wright and that their first name isn't always. Uh, But this hope, right, this hope that Peter's talking about is different, and Paul talks about it too. Look at what he says in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. What is that hope that you have? Isn't it that when you get down to your last day, you're breathing your last breath? Isn't your hope that Jesus was telling the truth? I mean, isn't that what we're banking on? Absolutely. But it's not just that. Again, Paul would say this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. He's reminding us that, of course, there's, there, there's something else that we're hoping for, But primarily, we know there's hope for this life. It's about how we live this one, that there's a better way that Jesus has shown us about living life. Corey Ten Boom, I don't know if you know who she is. Her story is back on Netflix again now, I noticed the other day. But she was a young woman when she was placed in a Nazi concentration camp, uh, and she and her sister smuggled into that concentration camp a small New Testament. And in her barracks, which was Barracks 69, She would gather all the prisoners together, and they would read Scripture together, and then they would pray. And that place in the prison camp became known as Barrack 69, the crazy place, because they still had hope. And when Corey Ten Boom experienced, what she said later was, 
you can take away freedom and you can take away privilege and you can take away rank and you can take esteem, uh, take away esteem and take away value and take away worth and you can take away money and you can take away food and you can take away health. But the one thing you cannot take away is the hope that we have connected to God. And Peter said, be prepared especially when it's most difficult to share your hope because the hopeless that are around you, when you're in a hopeless situation and you show hope, those who are around you that feel hopeless are going to notice and want what you have. So let me give you one more. Peter says this, take a stand that reflects Jesus' heart. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So let me just say that when you take a stand and, and someone doesn't appreciate your narrow-minded Bible opinion. I'm just teasing about that. When they don't appreciate your perspective and when difficulties begin to back you into a corner, how do you come out of that corner? In John chapter 1, we're told this, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Truth and grace. They come together. Peter says in these horribly brutal times, do the impossible. Tell the truth but do it gently and with respect. Last week, we saw the need to be mindful of our struggles before we talked to anyone uh, about theirs. This week, I just want to remind you, it's not about yelling. It's not about finger pointing. It's not about belittling. Paul would tell the early church that when you're facing every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful uh, scheming, he said, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And then he would tell Timothy, who was his protege, so he's teaching a young pastor. He said, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And I don't know about you. I find that incredibly difficult at times. I have to remind myself at times that this is the way I'm supposed to be acting. David Faust said this in the notes, Especially in tough times, we are called to be bold without being brutal, helpful without being hateful, and courageous without being crude. And then he added, many folks have been turned off by harsh, angry encounters with well-meaning but ill-tempered Christians. And Peter's reminding us of some of what we all recognize about ourselves. He's saying what's true of you is true of others, that the door to your heart is gently pushed open. The door is not kicked down. It's not blown open. It's not shoved open. It's gently pushed open. And that's how Peter finishes this thought. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And you know what I wonder? I wonder if when he's writing this, he thinks back to what he heard Jesus say in what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And do you know what happened, by the way? <laughs> These first century readers, we can look back now, and we know what happened because of this. We're told J. Herbert Keynes says, far from destroying Christianity, persecution only served to strengthen it. The blood of martyrs proved to be the seed of the church. For every person who died a martyr's death, scores forsook their foreign gods and embrace the Christian faith. When we take a stand because Jesus is our Lord, and we take a stand that shows people what, where our hope is, and we take our stand in a gentle way and a respectful way, people will notice. 
And I love this quote, a saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. That's why Peter tells us that. The way you and I live our life and respond during a time of difficulty, high pressure, intense, unbelievable pressure, we either help people believe in God or we make it more difficult to believe in God. And it's because those early saints could not, would not be silenced that others came to Jesus. And the same thing will be true of Jesus' followers today, the impact that we have on our culture. So this reading, I've had this for decades. I hope it means as much to you as it does to me. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know, do you, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind, that maybe he would be gentle with me too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I'm hurt. Do you know, do you, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and don't laugh, I think maybe Jesus is interested in me too. Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk about arguments and conflicts and scars from your past, I begin to wonder and think, maybe I'm just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse. If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe. Because if I do, it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? Your face is his face to someone like me? Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be a trick. Please let this be real. Please. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Listen, when we come together like this each week, we stop to remind ourselves of who Jesus is in our lives. And we say, thank you for giving yourself for my sins. And we don't say that glibly. Listen, we, we are called to examine ourselves. What's your life been like over the last seven days since we did this last time? And it's not the only time you talk to God about this, but certainly when we stop as a family, we say together, this is who I've been, and we admit our faults, our weaknesses, when we didn't respond in a way that would reflect Jesus. We think about how we've spoken to people because we represent Jesus to them. And so we come to him, we examine ourselves, and we recommit. And by taking these emblems today, we, it is in essence as we take them, we say to God, I remember how much you love me. And by taking them, we say back to him, and I love you too. And so we'll do that together. Let's pray. God, thank you for a moment like this when we get to stop and be reminded of who you are, who you call us to be, and that it's not always going to be easy. That there will be moments in our lives when it seems impossible and we will understand exactly what it took for Jesus to be able to live as he did and speak as he spoke and to reflect the kingdom of heaven as he did because we're called to follow him in that. And so now as we take these emblems that remind us of Jesus' death on the cross that took away our sins, we recommit ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.